before Pablo shares with us today, um, I'm going to say a few words, but even before I say a few words, Stephen Haddad was going to say a few words, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Pablo, I am speaking on behalf of the young adults, and uh, <laughs> trying to keep this short and sweet and uh, as non-emotional as possible, but... We just wanted to say that we have really appreciated you in our Sabbath school and leading us, and uh, we've appreciated all the flavor you've brought to our group, and we're really, really going to miss you. Uh, but we know that where you're going is, uh, uh, we know you're going to the right place. So we just, we love you, we just wanted to tell you that, and uh, I'll give you a quick hug, and then uh, I'll go sit down. Click in panelists, that's good. <laughs> all right. And uh, actually, before I say something again, um, the quilters would like to give you a little something. And uh, so as Joan brings this up, this is a, uh, I don't think Joan wants to say anything. She would like to say something, but I'm not sure she wants. Do you want to say something? Just a minute. Just a, okay, just. This is a quilt that uh, we made. I don't know who made it. Uh, we think, I think Cordy made it. And uh, Pablo came in two weeks ago and said, somebody said, Pablo, would you like a quilt since you're leaving us? And he says, well, sure. So this is what he picked out. And uh, I don't know how many of you got to tie knots, but each one of the knots is at least one prayer. So here you go. Love you. Thank you. <laughs> now, you got me started. Pablo was uh, the <laughs> Pablo was the instigator and the lead uh, foreman on the redo of the fireside room. And he worked with us because that's where we live. So he did everything we wanted. We loved him. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Joan. Thank you so much. Um, all right. And, uh, and before I say something about Pablo, uh, this keeps getting, you know, but uh, we also just want to say thank you to Erica as well for just, yes. And, um, yes. <clears throat> we know that she's, she, like many others, is not the most comfortable coming up here, so we're going to bring uh, just a token of our love to her uh, with this bouquet and just say that, uh, Erica, thank you for just being a wonderful part of this church family as well and your love and service here and, and caring for others and serving and, and, uh, um, just, and your support to Pablo, too, as a, as a pastor here on staff. So we know, we, know it's, we know oftentimes it's about the spouse behind the pastor, you know, right? So thank you so much. And now about Pablo. <laughs> yes, Erica. Thank you. And um, Pablo, just, it's been wonderful to have you on staff. Just been a gift. When Pablo came to us, he was coming right out of Andrews. He was solid green, right? Just solid. No, <laughs> he had had a little bit of experience before going to Andrews, came here, and we said, here's the job description. Young adults, yes. And facilities, yes. <laughs> right? Like, 
nobody really goes to Andrews to get their graduate work and for ministry and stuff like that to say, I want to take care of the buildings, right? But uh, Pablo, I fully believe, as all of us, um, God disciples us in very interesting ways. And uh, I know that you still had a lot of ministry to people. It wasn't just about buildings. You had a lot of ministry with young adults, with outreach, with quilters, with, with kids, with community, with all in different, di- so many different ways. And, um, but we thank you for all that you have done, all that you are. And um, thank you for, for growing us in ways. Thank you for growing me. Thank you for growing. You're part of the staff. And I know you've grown. We've all grown. Um, but just, just thank you for being who you are. And um, we're sad to see you go, but we're also excited for you in what you're going to be doing with CAPS over there at Loma Linda. Uh, working with the students, getting them, getting them working with people in the community and serving and so forth. And I know that's just part of your DNA. So um, we're excited for you. We also just have a little, um, I had a couple of cards there. Some of them I'll take, but there's one. Make sure I got the right one. All right. This is a, um, a card and a gift from the pastoral staff in your church family. I'm going to stick it there. Don't lose that one, okay? I'm just saying, don't lose that one. <laughs> um, but we love you, and it's, it really doesn't feel like I'm saying goodbye because I think we're going to be seeing each other a lot down the hill in different ways, but bless. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for Pablo and who you've created him to be. Thank you for his voice. Thank you for his heart and his passion for people, no matter the age. And Lord, I just pray for a double portion of your spirit upon him today. And as you continue to lead him and disciple him down in Loma Linda and in the community, may he continue to grow and be in everything you've created him to be. And most of all, through it all, may he know you, he is your beloved son in whom you are well pleased. In your name, amen. God bless you, Pablo. Thank you. So thank you. So this is honor, yes. So I have not been looking forward to this date. And that's really what it comes down to is uh, um, there's been a lot of thinking about the past uh, few years. And so I've been very grateful for this. Uh, I want to, <laughs> I was telling them that I was really surprised that I even got the opportunity to serve here. When we came for the interview, we stopped, we were coming straight from Michigan and we stopped in McDonald's so I could put a tie on and hopefully convince you that I was pastor somehow. <laughs> and we came straight to the interview and Eric and I were in the interview and I liked the people. I loved what I was hearing about Cala Mesa, but I just didn't feel like it was going well. We got here, and it was already lunchtime, and by the time I got in, it was getting past lunchtime, so everybody's hungry. I'm hungry. Eric and I said, we're going to go eat afterwards. We're going to be good. And then in the middle of the, the interview, Ravi, our church secretary, comes in with boxes of pizza, and I said, nobody's going to listen to anything I'm saying. We're all starving. And we left. As soon as we were in the parking lot, we're like, this sounds like an amazing church. Oh, man. I fumbled it. I didn't do well. I was, like, feeling not at all good about it. And I got so upset that even though I hadn't had lunch or anything like that, I lost my appetite for the rest of the afternoon. I was so upset. Because he felt like, man, this is such a great church to be a part of. And I don't think it's going to happen. And then dinner time came around. And I said, okay, my appetite is back. Let's go out to eat. I'm not going to get it. And then right as the food's going to get there, I get a text from Sandy Roberts saying, uh, John wants to know if you are willing to meet with the pastoral staff tomorrow for a second interview. And I said, yes. And then my appetite went away again um, <laughs> because uh, I was excited this time around. And he gave me, you know, John gave me a call and told me what 
what they wanted to talk about. And I was just really excited to, for redemption maybe or whatever it was, but I'm just happy that uh, it, it worked out for, for Eric and myself to, to be here with you guys. So um, I have been able to say thank yous and express my gratitude for some groups and individuals. I don't want to do that now here because I don't want to leave anybody out and because I will be an emotional mess. But you have been very gracious with me. You have allowed me to grow in ways that I didn't know I needed to grow in. You've been patient with me. And you have welcomed me into your homes. You've had conversations. You've told me things about your family or your concerns. And you've allowed me to be part of your life. And that is an honor for a pastor. And I'm going to miss that, being your pastor. So um, I'm not planning on like leaving pastoral ministry for good. I just feel like this is a good opportunity for me to go to right now. Um, and talking with the conference, I wouldn't have kind of pursued this if I didn't feel I had their blessing. I think they're very supportive and understanding that this isn't about leaving pastoral work. I just feel this is an opportunity that I need to take right now because it's an honor to be a pastor and serve in a community this way. So thank you for that and for just being gracious with me. I do want to say some things about certain individuals, and that's the pastoral staff they won't make me emotional. <laughs> um, I know that a lot of us here have been members at this church for a long time, longer than some of the pastors have been here, and it's powerful the ministry that the people have done here, and I got to tell you that I've gotten a closer look at how the pastors are invested in this community as well, and it's not just in duration, but in the intensity of the love that they have for you. Every Tuesday afternoon, we get to come together for staff meeting. And it was so much wisdom in that meeting that I walked away with every week. We, we pray for you. We catch up about what's going on. And in the pastoral staff, I see people who really genuinely love you and are part of this community. And it's really hard to leave a faith community as a pastor. So don't ever question that from your pastoral staff. I'm thinking about Pastor Ken, who's been here for, for quite a number of years. And he's very much part of the DNA of this church as well. And I've been personally touched by his ministry here towards me. I feel he has a gift with his words, with his thoughts. When he prays, I am touched in ways that I'm not touched in other ways. He taught me a lot about my prayer life, about how to relate to people in a different way and be considerate. And Ken, I really love the conversations we got to have about uh, social issues, faith issues, and it's just really hard to find people that are welcoming and open that way. And I hope that we continue doing that. Pastor Isaac's also been a part of this church for a while. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Aaron, it was his birthday, and we started talking about how old we were when we came to Cala Mesa. And Isaac said he was 22 when he started coming here. He's part of this church, too, and I have appreciated, I don't know where Isaac's at, but um, I've appreciated how his ministry is instinctive. It's immediate. As soon as we got here, immediately, hey, we're going to go out to eat. Erica, Grace... Christian Noel wasn't here yet, but we got, he immediately invited us out to eat. When we were going to move to our home, I needed to stay in a hotel for a couple of nights. We needed to stay there because the house wasn't quite ready, and he just happened to hear it, and immediately he's like, dude, cancel that. You're coming over tonight, right now, and I think that your ministry here, Isaac, is, is very much part of the lives of these people, and it's instinctive how you respond to the needs of this community, and it's, 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 it's beautiful to see here. Um, Aaron, I don't know if he's here. I know he was speaking for MGA alumni. Um, I was trying to come up with nice things to say besides that he's good at basketball. It was really hard. Um, 
um, tell him this, but I think I've shared it with him, that I was hoping that we would have an opportunity to work together here at Calamesa. And that him being part of the staff for the past year, a little over a year, I think that's something I was so excited about. And I met him on the basketball court the way I, I think a lot of us have. <laughs> and I first got here and I said, who's this guy? Pastors aren't allowed to play basketball that well. And that stood out to me. But what stood out to me was that he was a team player and he had like a humble spirit about him. And I see that same compliment here at church where he's, he's good at what he does, but he brings this teamwork, this humility, and, and I'm excited for him that he's going to continue growing, and that's what's amazing about this. So I'm, I'm glad that he gets to, to continue growing here because I know what that's like. And uh, Ken, Isaac, Aaron, I think that's it. So at least, at least for the pastors, I have nice things to say about. So... Um, of course, Pastor John Ciccarelli. Um, this one I might get emotional on. It's really hard to find senior pastors as supportive as you. It's really hard for, to, for people to find pastors that allow you to ask questions to approach you with times that you've, you've made mistakes. Um, that who's willing to give you advice when you ask for it and support you when um, some people may feel uncomfortable with it. And that has allowed me to grow tremendously because of your leadership. And I'm grateful that, um, that we're going to continue talking. You're still going to be my go-to. I've approached you when um, I was considering applying for this position, and I think it says a lot about your leadership that I felt comfortable enough to approach you before I knew where this could go. And uh, I think this church is fortunate to have you as a leader. So thank you for that. And uh, <laughs> thanks, man. Love you. No, thanks. Um, and, and, and Eric, um, I have to say thank you to you for um, anything. You supported me the way I needed to be supported as a pastor. This is our first church uh, as a couple uh, that we were at. And that's not easy. And um, I want to say thank you for supporting me the way I needed to, for processing things with me, sermons with me, uh, giving me the extra nudge, holding me accountable. And thank you for your support. So I love you very much. Um, So before we begin the sermon, this is not part of the sermon. um, Let's pray. God, it's good to be part of a community, a community that worships you, that is devoted to you, that seeks to not just love you, but to love the people that come through these doors. Uh, Thank you so much that I got to experience that love in many ways throughout the years. And thank you that that love has generated a friendship that will continue. It's beautiful. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last Friday, I... I received the sad news, the way many of us did, that um, one of my professors had passed away, Charles Teal. He was a professor. I took classes from him. There he is right there at La Sierra. He's posing at the Path of the Just. That walkway is called Path of the Just, and he designed it, and that whole thing is committed to or in honor of Seventh-day Adventist missionaries and for social activists from all around the world. A religion professor for ethics, for society, for for religion. 
Um, he was definitely a scholar, very educated, well-read, but he was also engaged. He was part of the civil rights movement when many people in his position failed to do so, but he had the courage to do that. And he shared that with his students, and that meant a lot to me, taking classes from him. He was a strong man, smart man, engaged, and he was hilarious. He was one of a kind. If you had a class from him, you didn't forget it. He had all these kind of sayings. When you would have to read something in class, most people would say, could you read that out loud? Could you read it loud and clear? Dr. Teal would say, read it with round pear-shaped tones projecting from the diaphragm. (laughs) All the time. That's what we would do. Round pear-shaped tones projecting from the diaphragm. I shared it with the young adults whenever we read scripture. He would have these little quirks that kind of caught your attention and they would tell you, that's when you need to take notes. He would be lecturing and he'd make a good point. He'd be like, and that's why we do what we do because nobody else would do it. And when you were to do that, you take notes because you're like, that's going to be on an exam. (laughs) Or he would do a different version of it. And compassion is this way because of blah, blah, blah. Hello. (laughs) Got it. Message received. Got it. Wrote it down. Unique. Memorable professor engaged. Something that was important to him. You were never to be late to his class. He would embarrass you. He would, uh, in a friendly way, cast curses on you. I'm serious. (laughs) He was a religion professor, and he would say, I'd rather you drink beer than be late to my class. (laughs) And he was a teddy bear with that all. And the reason I remember that he never liked people being late is because, yeah, he'd embarrass you. But at the beginning of every class, there was an informal quiz that took about 20 seconds. As soon as class was going to start, he would say, okay, get a piece of paper out. It doesn't matter. Just get a piece of paper out. Here's the question. He would always ask you a question regarding the news or something that was current. He would say, okay, today there's a prayer breakfast at the White House. Who is the speaker for that? And you'd have to fill it out, and you had like 10 seconds to do it. There is a famous leader. There's a, you know, a, a leader in Europe who announced something, blah, blah, blah. Who was that or what was this about? And you'd have to jot it down. And before you even finished filling it out, he was already taking it out of your hands because he didn't want anybody to come in 10 seconds late and get their quiz in. He was just so quick. It was your attendance quiz. So it forced us students to listen to the radio, to go on the website. This is before social media, all right? And we'd all, before class, okay, what, what could it be? And we'd have to like think about what was going on in this world. And he taught me, and he taught all of us who took his class, something, there was a phrase that he would use. I don't think it was his, but he used it a lot. He said, you got to have one eye on scripture and one eye in the newspaper. No, he was not saying, look at what's going on in the world and then try to force that onto your biblical beliefs. No, he was saying, read scripture, study it, see the God of scripture And then see how it's missing in the real world, in the present day. When you see God's heart expressing justice, pay attention to where justice is not happening. Be engaged. And that's how we approached it. He taught us that lesson. One eye on scripture, one eye on the newspaper. 
That was a great call that he gave us as students. Because scripture tells us nothing new is under the sun. Nothing. It's not hard to find ways in which scripture could play out in the real world now. Scripture speaks to the issues of our day all the time. Nothing new is under the sun. Because scripture is filled with stories of people. It tells a story of God, a God working with people. It's not hard to see the ways in which scripture needs to play out or is playing out in our world here and now. It wasn't hard for us to see this week. There was a lot of commotion, a lot of intense emotions. There was even silence because conversations about dreamers, about the foreigners, commotion, intense feelings, silence. Some of us, we know people who are dreamers. There are students, there are classmates. We know them. We have intense feelings about it. And there's good news. Scripture, scripture speaks to this. Scripture is filled with examples and statements on how we are to treat and view foreigners. The examples of Abraham, his life, he was a foreigner, he journeyed. Genesis chapter 18, look at how he welcomed others. His life was an example of how we need to treat foreigners. Ruth, her story, the whole book, read it. Jesus, when he was born, Herod was upset about that, was going to have him killed, and Jesus had to flee, not just as a foreigner, but by definition, a refugee. Examples, but there's also statements. We're going to read some of them. Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a, as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Ezekiel chapter 47. You are to distribute the land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe a foreigner resides, there you are to give them their inheritance, declares the sovereign Lord. Statements where God is saying, think big. You were redeemed. You've experienced that in your life. Welcome them as one of your own. Scripture doesn't just make statements. It lets us know that this is more than a suggestion. Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. Then all people shall say, Amen. Malachi 3, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who fraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. 
but do not fear me, says the Lord God Almighty. In a passage we're familiar with, Matthew 25, a judgment scene, sheeps and goats. God saying, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. More than a suggestion, the flip side to this passage is not just what you did to me, you did to the least of these. He continues by saying, depart from me. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the, one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. It's a judgment scene. It shows us that we will be held accountable. How we treat people, especially the vulnerable, matters to God. God's judgment is real, and it also reveals his heart. God values love and mercy. He is a God who has a heart for the marginalized, forgotten, and vulnerable. So yes, there's a lot of commotion about immigration, refugees, and foreigners. But I feel comfortable sharing it with you. Not just because I love you. But I feel comfortable because we could have this conversation at church from the pulpit because Scripture speaks to this. Scripture shows us a God who advocates for the marginalized, the vulnerable, and forgotten. We find a God who holds us accountable. And Scripture can generate conversation, not commotion. Scripture could create engagement and not silence. Because we're called to promote the kingdom of God and not the politics of man. And I get it. This is uncomfortable for some of us. I get it. Scripture calls us to something bigger. That is uncomfortable. You know, we don't like talking about it. I get that. And what I got to say is you could be encouraged by that discomfort, by that tension. Preparing a sermon, mm, it's a love-hate relationship I have with it, sermon preparation. Part of it is because of, uh, you know, the love where you get excited about what you're reading, where you're learning, the potential Oh, the hate, the, oh, is this making any sense to me? Is it going to make sense to the people? Ah, but here's where it gets challenging. The discomfort comes in. When I'm reading, I'm working on my own heart. I can't come up here and speak to you without allowing the scriptures and God to speak to me first. I get uncomfortable. And then, yes, it's uncomfortable, but then the love comes back because I sense God saying, see, in Scripture and the story of God and the way he was working in the lives of people, I'm calling you to something bigger. In your discomfort, find encouragement. Expand your comfort zone. That's what God is doing when we are uncomfortable with what Scripture is telling us and challenging us to. Expanding our comfort zones, not getting out of our comfort zones and being miserable about being nice to people who are different than us, God is saying, here's how the kingdom of God is. Get used to it. Get comfortable with people who don't look like you. God is expanding our comfort zone. We read scripture and we can find encouragement if we've been disappointed with church, frustrated with church, with Christians, thinking that our faith or church is irrelevant because it's silent, it is timid. 
It's a club and not a community. Be encouraged that Scripture is calling us to think big. It's good that you're dissatisfied. You are able to get involved and be a voice, not just in your church, because you are the church, but also outside of here. I've had conversations with people here. Some of you are here right now about your frustrations and disappointment with church, sometimes with tears in your eyes. Be encouraged that Scripture is calling you to something bigger. And those of us who feel like we ourselves are on the margins, we ourselves are forgotten and alone, you could definitely find encouragement in Scripture. Because it shows a God who champions for the marginalized, a God who advocates for the vulnerable and forgotten, a God who's willing to take on the political, social, and religious status quo. Or to use Charles Thiel's phrase, to challenge the structures of this world. The structures that cause or allow injustice. Scripture shows us a God who champions for the marginalized. So yes, one eye on Scripture and one eye in the newspaper and in our day. Paying attention where the kingdom of God could come to life in this world here and now. And we read and discover that a God, that there's a God who gives us conviction rather than apathy. Apathy. A God who generates conversation, not commotion. Engagement, not silence. I've appreciated Philippians since being here. I've preached from it here before, but I love that letter that Paul has written to this church in Philippi. Philippians is different than the other letters because Paul is very open about his love for this church. Like, there's a strong connection, affection that the church has for Paul and Paul has for the church of Philippi. But Paul's in prison. He's he's facing execution. It's uncertain. And he's writing to them and he's saying, "Um, I am so encouraged by who you are and your love for God. I know some of you guys are worried about me. And you're thinking that the gospel is not going to prevail, but let me tell you, the gospel has been resilient. Even though I have been incarcerated, as well as others, the gospel continues to spread. The gospel is resilient. I love you guys. I'm encouraged by what's your love for God. It's a beautiful letter. And before we get to Philippians chapter 2, I have a memory of this passage. When I was in college, I went to this conference called Youth Specialties. It was like there's workshops or speakers for like ministry, and I was in college and I went. And usually when there's large gatherings, you have people outside of those gatherings with signs. You're gonna burn in hell. Because you're listening to that author. Right? Like, you know, that was signs before. Now we have social media, now we have like anonymous blogs <laughs> that do that. Emails that go around saying stuff about the people in there, even though you haven't talked with any of them. So we were there, and and I was in college, and I was wise enough to understand that uh, we're not going to go anywhere here. I don't want to get riled up. But I was still curious because I was in college. So I was still there, and I saw how groups of people were trying to talk, and some of it was commotion. And then one person, I was right in front of them, he reaches out to the guy who has a sign, and he says, could I pray with you? For you, with you, could I pray for you? And this person says, uh, no. 
And I was like, okay, that was surprising. I didn't expect that. How are you going to deny prayer? And you're like, why can't we pray together? And then he goes to his Bible, and he turns to a passage that says, to be like-minded. And he says, I can't pray with you because you and I are not like-minded. We believe different things. Or really, you believe evil, I believe good. I can't pray with you. Like-minded. And I caught my attention. Listen how Paul talks in Philippians chapter 2 to this church that he loves. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the same Spirit, and of one mind. Like-minded. But he's saying more than that. Same love. One in Spirit and of one mind. Being encouraged by being united in Christ. Like-minded. The Barna Group came up with a study recently. The Barna Group, they're an agency or organization, nonprofit. They do research. They check out cultural trends with, pertaining to society, faith, behaviors, attitudes. Books have been written. They don't just do research. They analyze it. They produce books. It's very insightful for churches. And David Kinnaman wrote a book, the president of Barna, called Good Faith. And one of these studies that they did, they went around and they asked people, this was the study, they asked people this question. Which groups do you think it would be difficult for you to have a natural or a normal conversation with? Mark all that apply. So they had different groups of people categorized. And one of those groups was evangelicals. Criteria, um, believes Jesus, believes scripture, faith is important to them, salvation, right? Criteria. So they had other groups. One of them was atheists. That was one group. The other one was Muslims, people of different faith, Muslims. And then also the LGBT community. These were the different groups that they surveyed, and they asked all those groups the same question, which groups do you think it would be difficult for you to have a natural or a normal conversation with? Mark all that apply. The results were this. Evangelicals or Christians or churchgoers, if you would, Evangelicals seem to have a particularly difficult time talking to those outside of their group. Evangelicals reported higher tensions than any other group when it comes to having conversations with those who are different from them. Evangelicals said 87% of them said they would have a hard time, it would be difficult for them to speak with somebody who's Muslim. 85% of them said it would be difficult for them to speak with an atheist. 87% said it would be difficult for them to speak with a member of the LGBTQ community. And when I say the LGBT community and church, I'm not saying the LGBT community is not part of the church. I'm not saying that they don't have faith. They absolutely do, but they are a group. So more than the studies revealing that evangelicals were the ones that were very, find it very difficult to relate and have conversations with people who are different than them, the other studies showed that those groups, Muslims, atheists, the LGBT community, they were more comfortable having conversations with Christians. 
David Kahneman writes, in order to have meaningful conversations, we must first realize that it's not enough to be nice. Though important, being winsome often means leaving some of the more inevitable conflict at the door, which limits meaningful dialogue. It also causes an uncomfortable large segment of Christians to agree with people around them rather than experience even the mildest conflict. Kind of read lack of authenticity. He says, we must embrace the hard edges of dialogue, extending kindness and hospitality, but doing so in the face of the inevitable but healthy and constructive conflict. Extending kindness and hospitality. Study is saying that we are inviting us to have conversation instead of commotion. Being united in Christ and love and not necessarily in agreement on every little thing. Paul continues, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Continues, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is saying, think about others more than you think about yourselves. Have the same attitude as that as Christ. And you see in there a description that God became one of us. Something I have had to learn when we do mission trips, when we help others. Yes, we're the hands and feet of Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. I have to learn this. What I mean by that is even in my service, sometimes I had that attitude that I'm still better than the people I'm serving. That God maybe even loves me a little better because I have more than them. That I know more than them, that I've been coached more by, than them, so they, they can learn something from me, not the other way around. And instead of being the hands and feet of Jesus, I, I fool myself into thinking that I am God. Right here he's saying, God became one of us, all of us. All of us have brokenness, have a sense of inadequacy, have made mistakes, have much to learn. And it took me a while to realize that. So when we serve, we don't serve with an attitude thinking we're better than the people we serve. It's never top down, maybe not even horizontal. It's always thinking of them more how God could reveal himself to you through them. That maybe their joy with the little they have tells me that I need to change some things, not hoard some things. And I get that this is challenging, and there's one way that I felt it helpful to have conversations, to get to expand our comfort zones, to experience better unity in Christ. I love Homeboy Industries. <laughs> I've shared it here before. I've taken groups 
uh, throughout the years to go visit Homeway Industries. You see in the center right there is Father Greg Boyle. Father Greg Boyle, as a reminder, he started there in L.A. when the gang violence was intense. That was his assignment. And he wanted to reach out, make connections. And he got to know the people. He didn't want to just fix things, but he got to know the people and what needed to change. Fast forward to what they have now. They have, they have their own businesses because people who are getting out of prison, they need to find a job. And it's hard for them to find a job sometimes, so they created some businesses. They give you volunteer opportunities. They, create, uh, they have counseling, rehab, tattoo removal. So that if you get out of prison and you want to get out of your gang, you have a place to go to change your life. It's a beautiful ministry there. And one of the things that Father Greg Boyle has said that makes a difference is that far too often we stand in judgment of how others carry out their lives rather than standing in awe of the burdens that they have to carry. We only focus on their record, their tattoos, their appearance, their past, but the negatives of their past. You could stand in judgment. And he tells a story where he went to a seminar where there were over 600 social workers, and he brings two of his homies. Two of his homies, and one of them, he said he was in his, like in his 20s, he had been in a gang, he had served time, tattoos, all that. But he was also recovering. He was addicted to heroin. And it came time to speak, and he speaks to this group, and Father Greg Boyle says that, he tells this group, hey, I guess you could say that me and my mom didn't get along so well. When I was six, my, I remember my mom telling me, why don't you just kill yourself? You're such a burden to me. Remember when he was nine years old, his mom took him to the southernmost part of Baja, California to an orphanage and told the orphanage, I found this kid. Take care of him. And he said he was there for three months before his grandma rescued him. Talked about how he would go to school wearing three t-shirts because his mom would also abuse him and he had to wear those t-shirts to cover up the wounds. They didn't want people to see the blood. He didn't want the kids to make comments. And he said he continued wearing it even when he was an adult. And he tells this group of people, I used to be ashamed of my wounds. But now my wounds are my friends. I welcome my wounds. And he tells them, how could I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds? And he describes how in that moment when you hear his story, there began to be a shift of awe of the burdens he had to carry as a child. But in his statement that how could I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds, he was reminding that I am not better than you. I'm recovering and you who needs to find recovery, I'm still not better than you. I'm serving you. There was a shift of the awe, in awe of the burdens that people have to carry. He recognized that there is something in, important in unity. That we may not agree, but we're still the same. We are equal. A couple weeks ago when Harvey really started doing some work, some damage, 
there's a lot of commotion, conversation, concern. And there is a particular trend that happened over a particular church and pastor. People started saying, hey, Lakewood Church, you guys have thousands of, of seats available and you haven't opened up your doors. What are you doing? Joel Osteen, you're a pastor, you're a Christian, but what are you doing? You haven't helped the people here. And there began to be a lot of commotion, right? I am not bringing this up to talk about he was right, wrong, the logistics were good, bad, whatever. I'm not, that's not why I'm bringing this up. But there was an intense commotion about that. And then I started seeing a different conversation. People posting and saying, hey, I got an idea. How about instead of worrying about what Lakewood Church is doing, why don't you worry about what your church is going to do? Hey, instead of being so obsessed with what Joel Osteen is or is not doing, why don't you worry about what you're going to do to make a difference? Instead of standing in judgment of what other people are doing, what are you doing about it? Because it's easy for us to say, oh, the church should be doing this and they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't protest this way, they should do it the other way. It's easy for us to stand in judgment, but oftentimes the ones who have the strongest opinions and judgments are the ones doing the least. Which is why I was so touched and last week when I did church life was probably one of my favorite church lives that I've done because even though Raul Garcia does not come up front and speak, he shared his story. He shared about how he got a call from his mom, about how we should do something. And he also shared that when he was looking at the news, he saw families. One eye on scripture, one eye on what was going on in the day. And he began to stand in awe as all of us did because we were given an opportunity to do something. You see those few days, and we collected all that. People started coming on board. There was an opportunity for our church, not just our church, but churches around us to do something. Rather than standing in judgment, we were more effective because we stood in awe of the burdens that people have to carry. That's unity. That's conversation, not commotion. That's engagement, not silence. That's conviction, not apathy. That is the God who's calling us to champion for the vulnerable. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you are a God who understands us and speaks to us. To think big. To make it about your kingdom and not about this world. God, thank you so much that you could also produce in us courage and humility. May we find that courage and humility in you and who you are. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So for the benediction, I would like for all of us to, to do it together. Uh, this is a benediction that was important to me growing up. I've shared it here before. And so I invite us all to say it to each other for each other. It's been an honor to journey with you. Join me. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.